Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I'm the founder and editor of Burnley FC website, None and Never. Hi, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester fan for the uh, EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at JimKnight88. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. All right, Jamie, it's been a little while since you've been on. I know you've had some tough news to deal with lately, but what's the news out of Burnley? Uh, yeah, well, since I was on last time, we were relegated, which I suppose has been on the cards um, probably all season, really. But it's it's always disappointing for it to be to be confirmed, and particularly in the manner of of how it happened as well, since we actually won the day we got relegated, which was strange because we were happy that we scored a goal and won, but also unhappy because we lost. Um, but there's been some positive signs in the last two games, actually. We've kept back-to-back clean sheets, which is very good, and hopefully if we can keep the squad together, we'll have a reasonable chance of coming back. Um, better news today, actually, our goalkeeper, Tom Heaton, has been rewarded for nine Premier League clean sheets by getting in the England squad for the first time, which is, is probably because of injuries as much as Heaton's um, excellence this season, but it's 40 years since the Burnley player was was capped for England, so it's it's fantastic news for us and everyone at the club is absolutely delighted. And it's good to see ex clarets Charlie Austin and Gary Cale in there as well, so that's very good. And the other big news out of Burnley this week was that our chief executive, Lee Hughes, is moving on. He's going to QPR for apparently family reasons. I don't know why family reasons would mean he needs to move to QPR, but it's quite unpopular with fans anyway, so that's not going to be too disappointing for most of us and it seems like the, the changeover has been quite well done anyway because we appointed a guy called David Baldwin to be a chief operating officer a few months ago and he's just going to take over and he's a CEO really he was at Bradford before he was at Burnley so it seems like there's going to be some fresh ideas at the club which is good stuff really so yeah I think planning starts now for next season Ings is obviously going to be going, which Sean Dash said after one of the games recently, which everyone was a bit amazed by. We all thought he was going to stay, so that was disappointing. And there's been a couple of departures already, even before the last game. Ross Wallace and Stephen Reid are leaving. So, yeah, it'll be a case of clearing out the deadwood and trying to keep hold of our best players, I think. But, yeah, there's, there's plenty to be positive about, actually, considering that we have been relegated. I feel a bit strange about it. All right. Uh, Jim, you're obviously on the other side of that as you're now confirmed staying up. What else is going on over at Leicester? Yeah, we um, had a pretty tense nil-nil draw um, against Sunderland in our last game, which mathematically secured that we'd be staying up, which is nice to be confirmed and stop everyone fretting and worrying, I think. I think after the run that we've been on, in reality, we weren't going to go down coming into the last two or three games, but everyone was that worried about it for the majority of the season. I think people struggled to shake off the doom and gloom of potentially being relegated, even when we were showing more than enough to stay up. Um, similar to, to Jamie, Leicester have had their first player called up to an England squad in, in quite a few years. Not quite as many as, as Burnley, I don't think, but I think we've only had, I think it's 17 players capped since the Second World War or something ridiculous. Um, so for, for Jamie Vardy to make the step up to England level is is um, it's amazing, really, considering where he's come from three years ago, he was playing non-league football and he could potentially be playing against uh, Ireland or, or, or Slovenia in a couple of weeks time, which is um, which is, you know, a credit to the club and the work that they've done with him, bringing him in as a bit of a raw talent and developing him over the last couple of years. Um, there are quite a few naysayers on, on the internet, as there tends to be, about him and his his quality and the fact that he's only scored four goals this year. It is a bit of a freak incident that he's in the squad because people like Berahino, uh, Danny Ings and, and Harry Kane are all in the England under-21 squad, where normally one of those would probably have stepped up and, and took his place or his, his potential place anyway um, in the England squad, the senior squad. But we're all pleased for him, obviously, at Leicester. 
Um, he, is, he has worked probably harder than anyone else over the last 18 months, two years at our club. And, you know, we're delighted to see him get his chance to shine um, on the international stage, even if he is a one-cap wonder and, and never plays again. Um, apart from that, you know, we're just kind of, we had our, pre uh, our post-season awards or our end-of-season awards, shall I say, th this year, uh, this week. And Jeff Schlupp picked up Young Player of the Year. Um, Esteban Cambiasso picked up uh, Player of the Year. So kind of that was kind of in line with what we thought would happen. There wasn't any kind of huge surprises um, with that. And yeah, it's just kind of been a, a huge sigh of relief really this week to to finally get everything confirmed after the Sunderland game and then start planning for next season. All right. And Dan, what's the news out of Arsenal? Uh, well, on Sunday, we drew one off United and um, that, that essentially made it so we're automatically going to be top three, no Champions League qualifier, which is relieving because those are always annoying, especially this year's. Um, but it's not been, not been that exciting of a week. Later, yesterday, we drew nil nil the Sunderland, which was frustrating. That's um, three, three consecutive home games without a goal, which is the first time that's happened since 2006. And teams have just been parking the bus, and we've struggled to break it down. Um, again, we had a couple decent we had a couple good chances against Sunderland, but failed to um, failed to capitalize on any of them. Against United, we didn't actually score. Tyler Brackett scored for us because he's just a very kind person. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh my God, Tyler Brackett. Uh, but he but that draw made it made the season really kind of just end. Well, up until the FA Cup, made the league season end. Because that just confirmed third place, which was... I, I wanted second place, but after we lost to Swansea, that was never really going to happen. Uh, it still could have happened up until yesterday, then when drawing of Sunderland, that ended all chance to second place. So one through four is all locked up now, barring a... I think it has to be a 6-0 win by uh, United and a multiple goal loss by us to West Brom. So with all respect to Hull and West Brom, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm. But... um. Yeah, not a whole lot's gone on this week. Our end-of-season awards are right now, apparently, which is slightly inconvenient for this, but oh well. Um, so I don't know who's going to win the Young Player of the Year or Player of the Year awards, but uh, nothing's really gone on transfer-wise, and I don't really pay attention to that stuff till um, after the season's actually over, instead of, you know, all the rumors that have a signing three players now, and then by the end of the transfer window, we won't never have made a bid for them. Um... Yeah, not a lot going on. For, oh, we have had five players called the England squad and have had slightly more than 17 players capped for England since World War II. Mm. But, um... <laughs> La -dee -da. <laughs> um, I, I would like to uh, point out that Steve uh, Boniface came on the other day and agreed with Hull that they would win so that Hull would have better chances of staying up. Do you, do you have any uh, thing to, to say? Like, do you apologize for letting them down so severely? Or uh, Yes, I left, I'm uh, profusely, uh, I apologize profusely because I kind of, I know it's always bad to say this, but when, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago when it looked like they were going down, I kind of wanted Sunderland to go down, and I really don't want Hull to go down. So I'm very sorry, Hull. It's all my fault and no one else's. Heard it here first, guys. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, uh, for Tottenham, uh, we had six players called up to England squads. <laughs> With Kane, Dyer, Carroll, and Pritchard being called up for the U21 side. And probably the least two deserving players on Tottenham making the senior side with Andros Townsend and Ryan Mason. I realize that I have been really hot and cold on Townsend throughout the year, but when he doesn't play for six straight weeks, it's a little hard to understand why he's getting called into the England senior side. Mason did improve this past week, but has been largely absent for about the last month or so as well, so was a little surprised to see those two names there, but with Kane and Dyer uh, in the U21s, I guess it's not the most surprising thing. <clears throat> I realize that the left-back slot is still kind of up for grabs, but... Um, the fact that Danny Rose wasn't involved, I think, was a little surprising for Tottenham fans. But if you look at the names that are going, you know, it, it's not the craziest uh, shun to have ever happened. He probably didn't get called up because of his hair. 
Yeah, it's, it's entirely purple. But it was supposed to be purple. Why was it? Because that's mind. so much better. I can't go on. <laughs> I can't deal with this again. <laughs> um, uh, as you can probably tell from that, there's not really much to talk about football-wise from our end. Um, on a bit of a sadder note, Adebayor has been allowed to leave uh, on, on compassionate leave as he deals with all of his family issues. I'm not going to go into it. We don't want to capitalize on anything like that. But if you want to know what's going on, it's been plastered all over his Facebook and most media uh, outlets are covering it. Um, as far as deals go, you know, players were being linked with. If I see another person say that we've signed Kevin Vimmer without it being official, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, being linked with Lavezzi, Thauvin, and Konoplyanka all to play on the wing together, apparently. So, uh, I don't know. You'd think just by rule of averages, one of them would end up coming, but you never know. Um, being linked with Jackson Martinez, who then has quickly just been called Sold Auto 2.0, which I think is fairly accurate, bringing in a 29-year-old striker that's had a lot of success in a different league, not really knowing how well he'll do. Then there was that random flurry of rumors last night about Pedro, saying that he's available for $7 million from Barcelona, which would be very surprising, but he is a very good player, but if it's less than 20 I'd be surprised and now we're being linked with Chicharito again because he scored a couple goals for Real and now he's going to be a huge deal um not really sure where he'd end up going I don't think he'd he'd go back to United but with Falcao leaving and Van Persie struggling and Rooney (laughs) reverting to either injured or attacking midfield you never know uh but it will be interesting to see where he goes um, other than that, we're heading into our last match of the season, obviously. We're playing Everton away. Uh, Aaron Lennon's not playing for them, obviously, as he's on loan. And they're going to be debuting their new kits. So, that's, that's about all that's happening. I realize it's not much, but this is kind of what happens as we kind of slow the season down to its end. Um, as we do so... We all had favorite moments for our clubs and, and for the league as a whole, so we're just going to quickly go through and ask, what was your favorite club and league memory of this season? We'll start off with Jamie. Uh, well, there's not that much to choose from, to be honest. Uh, no, that was, that was unfair, because we, we did have some good days. I think my highlight of the season was probably beating Man City at home. It felt like a turning point at the time, uh, but proved not to be so, unfortunately. But still, George Boyd's winner was absolutely fantastic. Undoubtedly, the highlight of our season. I think it was a goal worthy of winning probably any game. Like I say, at the time, it felt like it was really going to galvanise us. And and I was convinced after that game that we were going to stay up. It's just we instead decided not to score a goal for the next six games, which is a slightly different way of going about trying to stay in the Premier League. Um, in terms of a memory for the whole league, it's it's difficult to pick out really. I think maybe you need the summer to to really reflect. But still related to Burnley, I did think it was incredible watching Jose Mourinho on goals on Sunday talking about Ashley Barnes and his um, quote mark criminal tackle on uh, Nemanja Matic, which was actually a follow through from the past. That was incredible. And actually, the match that I think I've enjoyed more than anything else was Leicester beating Manchester United, which was amazing really um just to see a club like ours that had come up to take apart one of the the best teams in europe was was incredible really and i think we could have taken inspiration from that instead we drew nil nil with manchester United, so clearly didn't learn any lessons at all from what leicester did um jamie's kind of stolen my thunder a little bit with my kind of sorry base moment no it's fine it's fine um the five three has got is got to be probably the, the the defining Leicester City moment, and I think it would have been kind of no matter what happened, even though we've had a lot of maybe more important results in the last six seven weeks in terms of keeping us in the Premier League. Um, that game is probably one I'm never ever going to forget in terms of just the the way that it came about. Not only did we beat them, we beat them from three one down as well, like just getting into the second half being 3-1 down against this team where I think it was the most expensively assembled starting 11 in Premier League history that game because they started with um, a front three of Wayne Rooney, uh, Angel Di Maria and Radamel Falcao and obviously all the kind of expensive acquisitions that go with a standard Manchester United team behind them. Um, So to basically fight fire with fire in the way that we approached it was just 
it was ridiculous. And when Cambiasso scored um, the equaliser to make it 3-3, we had all the momentum and that feeling was brilliant just because I I think the majority of the people in the ground at that point were absolutely convinced that we were going to go on and win that game, which is crazy to think considering we were playing Manchester United. But it was just the, the flow of the game and the fact that we actually had them on the back foot and they couldn't deal with the kind of direct running style and the aggression and pace of the likes of Jamie Vardy. Um, he tore their defence ragged. So um, that has to be my kind of Leicester City moment. Um, probably a close run thing with the 2-2 at Liverpool um, at Anfield because I think that's a ground on, on New Year's Day that a lot of people were looking forward to visiting, me included, and to come from 2-0 down as well in that game um, and get a 2-2 draw and kind of have that really frenetic ending where it could have gone either way. Um, specifically after two dodgy penalties as well in that game. Um, I don't think either of which were penalties, but, you know, they go against you sometimes. So to th- to show the fight in the second half, to come back and, and salvage a point from one of the most historic grounds in the country was fantastic. Um, it is a little bit difficult, as Jamie says, to kind of pick a, a defining moment out or a moment that's kind of your favourite. Um, I was watching some some kind of best of compilation goal things in, in preparation for this, just to kind of get my head around um, what's happening because I think you you focus so much on on what's just happened or what's about to happen um, in the last few games that you kind of forget what's happened previously unless it is something huge that kind of sticks out um, but I really enjoyed um, Crystal Palace this is going to sound really bad I really enjoyed Crystal Palace spoiling Steven Gerrard's last game at Anfield um, just because they are kind of become specialists in going away to to big grounds mm. and upsetting big teams. And they were so overlooked in the build-up to that game, you know, kind of with all right, with kind of due cause because of the fact that it was Gerard's last game at home and everyone wanted to make it about him. They were overlooked I just, I during the, fact- the match. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I barely heard them mentioned even when they were winning the game. It was just... It, it was... It's just the standard media falling over Stephen Gerrard. I, I kind of understand it to a point because it sells newspapers and it gets clicks and people will talk about it. But I just thought it was a kind of a little bit disrespectful, really, to to kind of overlook Palace in that way, especially considering they are very, very capable of doing exactly what they did and going out and beating a team like Liverpool, who, let's be honest, have been pretty bad this year. They're, they're kind of they've regressed so badly for a number of reasons, obviously. Losing Luis Suarez and, and having Daniel Sturridge injured for the majority of the campaign hasn't helped. But um, I just thought I, I really enjoyed the, the fact that they went one nil up and it looked like the fairy tale ending was going to be on as well. And Gerald was going to get his 86th minute substitution in this this rapturous round of applause. And then Palace just stood up and said, "No, we're not going to let you kind of walk over us. We're not here to play second fiddle to anybody." Went out and and battered Liverpool second half and you know convincingly beat them three one. Uh, it could have been more as well. So I think that will probably be one of the moments that, that people remember um, kind of past and, and beyond the season. So I'd, I think I'd have to go for that as mine. Uh, for my own club moment, I'd have to go with the win, against, the win at Old Trafford against Manchester United in the FA Cup. That was awesome, uh, especially considering we hadn't won there since 2006, which is still insane. Um, it was, And as good as the win over City was, the fact that we won that by two goals made it a better performance, but less exciting. You know, the fact that we only won at Old Trafford by one goal probably took an extra four or five years off my life, but it did make it all that more exciting and all that more awesome when the final whistle went. And yeah, it's put us in the position we are in now to go win the FA Cup again and win it for the 12th time, most in the history of the competition. And that, that victory was just awesome really awesome really extended the life of our season really because that was after we'd lost to monaco looked to be going out to them the champions league looked like what the league had been gone since the beginning of the season that victory was awesome in itself and also breathed extra life into our season for the fans and stuff and that was that was really awesome as far as um the entire league moment i think i've got a couple just funny ones that i made me laugh a lot um Frank Lampard scoring against Chelsea. I can't believe how many people seem to have forgotten about that. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it not for New York City FC? Uh, they were the same uniforms. May well have been. Uh, um, Steven Gerrard getting sent off after 48 seconds. That was funny. I laughed a lot at that. Um, 
Yeah, a Palace beating uh, Liverpool despite, you know, not being talked about. That was funny, too. Palace three went up. But Steven Gerrard touched the ball, guys. He touched the ball. Um, if I have to pick one, it's probably Gerrard getting sent off after 46 seconds. Or what was it, 48? Whatever it was, that was really funny. And, yeah, that was just fantastic. I don't think I'll ever see anything like that again, at least with the circumstances and all. Yeah, for me, um, for Tottenham, it, it's hard because you have to pick which Harry Kane moment um, is, is the moment of the season, whether it was him just kind of chuckling uh, at, at Chelsea in the 5-3 win or, or single-handedly taking down Arsenal uh, in the 2-1. But uh, I'm going to go back to the Chelsea match because the the second goal that he scored in that match, it was when everybody... Cause, this is January 1st. This is about a month into us seeing Harry Kane with the starting job. He only had a few goals up to that point. Um, you know, not for lack of, of scoring each match he was playing, but just because he started the season late. But people were still wondering whether or not Harry Kane was the real deal or not. And then in that match, the, the second goal was the one where he beat Ivanovic off the line and then turned Matic and then uh, put it right past Courtois at the far post. <laughs> it was just like... Wow, those are the people that he's beating. Um, and really just kind of cemented, you know, what we'd end up seeing for the rest of the season, finishing with 20 goals. Uh, and so that was just a ridiculous moment, just kind of cementing what we all kind of thought was happening. And then, you know, we were scoring on and off again, and then scoring the two against Arsenal. The, the header that he had to win it was so beautifully cushioned. It just... It really was incredible, and, and in a season where we knew we were going to be rebuilding and stuff, obviously that win propelled us into the, kind of the top four chase that we didn't capitalize on, but we were never supposed to be near there this season. The season was supposed to be all about rebuilding, and as far as like young talent and, and moments go, that was a pretty big one to kind of show the direction we could go, uh, which will inevitably uh, be the reason why we're really sad in a year or two, um, but right now it, it looks very promising, and those two goals were were a very big part of that. As for the league, I was also going to mention Leicester beating United because that was really fun. Um, but on the other side, where it wasn't fun, but it was super impactful, was on the first part of the season, we talked about how Southampton would be fighting in the relegation zone. And then they were in third, like up until February. Um, and the thing that really cemented that for me was their 8-0 win. I think it was against Sunderland, if memory serves. Yeah, against Sunderland. <laughs> yeah. With, like, at least two own goals. Yeah, like it that. was crazy. And I just remember watching that match, and uh, a friend of mine had a very similar thing to, to the Germany-Brazil World Cup match, where he left for, like, three minutes, <laughs> and then all of a sudden there were another two goals on the board. And that that very much cemented... Um, very early on in the season, that, that Kuman was for real and Southampton were for real, and we're gonna be be fighting at the top of the table more than the bottom. And so just just to be that flagrantly wrong really stuck with me because I was one of those guys at the beginning of the season that thought they were very much gonna struggle, and they did not. Um, Tadic was absolutely huge at the beginning of the season. He's really dropped off and doesn't play much anymore. Pella was a huge signing. And, and they got them all in for relatively cheap. They Each player they brought in, they brought in for cheaper than the players they sold. And at the beginning of the season, all of them were arguably better at their positions. With Alderweireld being better than Lovren was, and Tadic being better than Lalana and Pella being better than Lambert has been uh, at Liverpool. So that 8-0 that was just absolutely ridiculous and really cemented their ability this season. Alright, and as we continue in the vein of end-of-season things... Uh, we're going to do player watch, where instead of matches, we're going to be talking about which players most impressed you and most disappointed for you this season. Start off with Jamie again. Yeah, well, we had our supporters player of the season awards during the week, and George Boyd won a lot of the awards, which I could kind of understand. He's he's a fan favourite. He he runs an awful lot. There's a, 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 an old club saying that Burnley fans love a runner, and I think Boyd's popularity is a sign of that. But there is more to his game than that. He has scored five goals, and like I said in the last section, his winner against City was probably the heart of the scene. So I understand that. However, he wouldn't really be in my top four. He'd probably sneak into the top five. I think Tom Heaton has been fantastic. I've already mentioned him. Obviously, he's got that England call, which I think he's fully deserved. Um, Danny Ings scored 10 goals, uh, missed some chances as well that people will remember, but 
I think overall he, he stood out a level above a lot of our players throughout the season. Uh, Kieran Trippier I thought was fantastic for most of the season as well. He's extremely consistent. I'll be surprised if there's not Premier League teams interested in him, especially since he's reportedly got a £3.5 million release clause, which would be an absolute bargain, I think, for pretty much any Premier League team, to be honest, that needs an attacking right-back. But my player of the season would actually be the captain, Jason Shackle. I think he's been very consistent, despite playing for a team that's been up against it for a lot of the time, I think. Nine clean sheets is a fantastic achievement. I think Shackle's been at the heart of that. Some of the blocks he's pulled off have been absolutely fantastic. He played some of the season with a 37-year-old at the back, which not many other people in the Premier League have had to do. And for the other games, he was playing with a 22-year-old. So he's had two extremes there to cope with. He reads the game extremely well. He's normally quite solid in possession, although he's switched off and costs a couple of times. So, yeah, I think Shackle's my highlight. and He's only got a year left on his contract, so we're a little bit worried that he might get snapped up during the summer. Uh, players that are disappointed could be here all night, really. Um, Lukas Jukovic is the obvious one. Paid £2 million for him, hasn't scored a goal. Uh, Marvin Sordell hasn't scored a goal. Um, so they were the two strikers we signed to try and keep us up. No goals between them. Obviously, not very good. Um so yeah, they'd, they'd be the main two. A couple of the other new signings didn't really come off either. Stephen Reid's retired now. He might as well retired a year ago for all the done he's got us in the last 12 months. Matt Taylor, similarly, looked like he was going to be a key player, had some experience, missed most of the season with injury, and when he had a chance to affect our fate in a positive way against Leicester, he missed a penalty, which is unforgivable, really. If you're going to pussy. He seemed to demand it off things. So to insist that you're going to take a penalty and then miss it didn't help that Leicester ran down the other end and scored within a minute. But I think that was a crucial moment in the season. So Taylor has to get some stick for that. So yeah, those four, I think, Taylor, Reid, Jukovic and Sordell, four big disappointments, really. If we'd brought in better players than them, might have had more of a chance of staying up. Yeah, Jim, who impressed and disappointed most for Leicester? Um... I think impress wise, I've I've waxed lyrical about Esteban Cambiasso a few times um, on the podcast, so I won't kind of go on about him too much. But he is only on a one year contract, so he's technically out of contract in the summer. So we are, I think that's priority number one this year to try and get him tied up to a new deal. I don't know if he's going to stay. Um, I got the feeling from his acceptance speech um, in the week that he won't be signing an extension, which is a real shame because. He's added a real touch of quality to our midfield, which is um, difficult because we've got a lot of young players in that team, relatively, um, and especially kind of inexperienced Premier League-wise. Danny Drinkwater, Matty James, um, Dean Hammond's had a bit with Southampton, but not too much. Um, so a lot of our central midfield and Andy King um, haven't had a lot of Premier League exposure. So he really, he kind of bonded together that central midfield area as a creative outlet that, you know, he he was one of the kind of shining lights, if not the shining light for us this year. Um, I probably would say Robert Huth has been running, He would even though he's only been here since January, he's probably run Cambiasso close for, for player of the year. And I think if we'd have signed him um, on loan in, in September or August, um, we... Pr- he probably might have pipped into the post for that award because it, it, he um, he's added so much defensive solidity, like our centre-back pairing or centre-back or three at times that we've been playing with this kind of 3-5-2 with attacking wing-backs um, has been chopped and changed so many times. And he's been the one constant since he arrived that you could say, yep, he's solid. He's going to hold the line together. He's got a lot of Premier League experience and he, you know, I don't know what has happened with him at Stoke and, and why he's not in Mark Hughes' first team plans. I know he's on about £40,000 a week, but we've got to do everything we can to get him in in the summer because he's made such a difference. I would go as far to say as he has saved us from relegation, not single-handedly, but he's gone a long way towards doing it on his own because we were making so many defensively poor errors in the first half of the season that we were just continually shooting ourselves in the foot. That I mean, the United game we talked about earlier was kind of a perfect example in that 
we had to go three, you know, two or three goals down before we started actually playing. And you can't do that game in, game out and expect to, to stay in the Premier League. Uh, we needed to start grinding out some clean sheets and getting some one and two nil victories on the board. Um, you know, playing kind of end-to-end football like a basketball game is is all well and good. But when you're a team like Leicester who haven't got the firepower up front to match a lot of teams on a week-in, week-out basis, you're going to get relegated if you try and do that. So that was a real sea change in terms of our approach and our ability to shut out teams um, no matter you know whether it was home and away, we were able to to put up a lot more of a defensive showing. We still had the odd laps. The the Tottenham game kind of springs to mind where that was very back and forth, but mm. um, we were able on the whole to to shut down a lot of teams and and keep it to one or two goals. And then we've got a chance of getting something out of the game if we can do that. Um, so he was a big signing for us. Uh, we've already spoke. I've already spoken about Jamie Vardy. Uh, you know. He is a firm fan favourite, I think, mostly because he has that, you know, Roy the Rovers, we call it over here, kind of that started from nothing, came from the bottom, you know, not through a big Premier League academy, not had this privileged lifestyle that a lot of professional footballers have now. Um, He was essentially thinking about quitting football 18 months ago when it wasn't, or two years ago when it wasn't working out for him at Leicester, Um, or or not as well as he'd first hoped when he first signed for us for a million pounds, which is, you know, a huge price tag for a non-league footballer. Um, and the way that he has kind of worked on his game and and the, the coaches and the sports science staff at Leicester have worked so hard with him and it's paid off. So that is that is huge. Um, Jeff Slup, I know I've kind of highlighted him sometimes as a kind of inconsistent player, but he has started to blossom at fullback, which is crazy when you think he was a striker two years ago. Um, and that's all he ever wanted to be. And then we moulded him into a fullback in the, the championship season where we lost in the playoffs to Watford, um, basically out of necessity because Paul Konczewski was too slow to deal with a lot of the tricky wingers. Um, and he has kind of picked up that mantle and, and made that position his own, really. And I'm hoping that he can kick on. He's fairly young, so I'm hoping that he can kind of press on and make that position his own now. You know, Forget about your ambitions of scoring 20 goals a season. Um, kick on and, and and make that position your own. He's he's strong. Um, he's got a little bit of positional sense and stuff to learn, but that's to be expected from a player that's trying to change, you know, his natural game at the age of uh, of twenty one, twenty two. So, I think they're the kind of main protagonists in in what we've done this season. Um, obviously, Joe has scored goals as well and deserves a fair amount of plaudits. In terms of players that have not necessarily shone through. Um, Matty Upson hasn't been brilliant, mostly because he spent a lot of the time on the bench injured. Um, we were hoping that he would perhaps be that Robert Huth character that could organise a centre-back pairing or a centre-back three. Um, and I think he's probably played a cumulative total of about 150 minutes for the club in, in the season as a whole, which is uh, which is pretty disappointing. But then I suppose we knew we were taking a risk signing a player of his age um, at the time that we did. So... I haven't seen enough yet of Andre Kramerich. He came in to a lot of fanfare in, in January um, for a lot of money as well. But I, from what I have seen of him, I think if he can learn to adapt to the Premier League, then he could be a really good player. I think the problem that he's got at the moment is that he wants an extra touch. You can tell he's used to being the best player in a team and being able to walk around defenders. And, you know, he always wants an extra touch. He always wants to take the ball. His first instinct isn't always to head towards goal. He tries to drop deep, pick the ball up, and then beat three or four men before having a shot. And that's kind of not something you can do as often in the Premier League, if at all. Um, So I think if he can get his game right, he'd be brilliant. But he hasn't shown enough this year. And I think he's admitted himself, to be honest. I've seen quotes from him this week that he's found the transition a lot harder than he necessarily expected. So hopefully he can have... That um, that kind of season that Jamie Vardy had two years ago, where he comes back a completely different player, and you know you don't recognise the guy um, from one August to the previous uh, April. So fingers crossed. Wes Morgan, <laughs> as much as I always seem to slag him off on this podcast, but <laughs> he has he has single handedly been bailed out by Robert Huth. Like that that effect has helped him become a much better player. Um, Do you think that might become permanent? <sighs> I hope it is, but I doubt it. I don't think we're going to pay the money that he wants. Um, but yeah, so fingers crossed we can get someone in, if not uh, if not Huth, to keep that centre-back pairing. But yeah, I think that's about it for me, wrap up. I know I've named pretty much every player in our squad, 
uh, now. But <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have to let someone else talk, otherwise we're going to run out of time. But yeah, I think they're the main ones for me. All right, Dan, who was most impressive and most disappointing for Arsenal? Um, well, I'm going to not name the entire squad. I'll leave one or two people out. Um, most impressive, uh, the easy answer is Alexis Sanchez. He scored 24 goals in 48 starts, which from a wing is nuts. It's just nuts. He carried us through the first half of the season, really. I mean, I don't like to say that, but he, he probably did for at least patches of it. More games we, the rest of the team just didn't perform or, or we were missing players through injury. Um, yeah, he's been the best player throughout. Most impressive that I didn't expect is somewhere between Francis Coughlin and Hector Bellerin. Um, Coughlin was on loan at the beginning of the season at Charlton and has come back and been one of the most important players in the team the second half of the season, which is insane. Um, Hector Bellerin, I didn't expect to get much game time. I thought he'd be cover for cover because I thought you know, Debushi starting right back, Chambers cover right back, Bellerin after him. But then Debushi went out with the injury for ever and ever and ever. And um, Chambers, after starting really well, he kind of just he had burnout, I guess. I don't know. He just found the transition. After finding it very easy to start, he then came back down to earth, crashing back down to earth. And Bellerin has stepped in and been really, really good, surprisingly enough. Well... Not that surprising, because we expect him to be good at some point, just that it happened this early is surprising. And actually, I misread this on the rundown. I thought it was for the re- most recent matches, and he was going to be my most impressive player against Sunderland. He was really, really good the first half, and he was our only real outlet the first half. But, um, yeah, those are the top three most impressive. I'll give shouts to Mesut Ozil and Olivier Giroud, because they've been very, very, very good at parts in the season. Ozil's struggled with injuries, so... Really, when he's been fit, he's been pretty good. Giroud's been good for most good for the most part of the season when he's been fit. He's struggled the last couple of games, but I'll let him off. He's been doubled. He's been doubled up by center backs pretty much the all of the last seven games. But um, they've been good. They're not quite player of the season uh, material due to injuries, but they've been very good. As far as disappointed, um, Matthew Fleming has been bad, but I didn't exactly expect anything out of him. So I guess I won't. He's not really disappointing. He's just not very good at football. Um, Wojciech Chesney is probably the biggest disappointment. He had an incredible season last year, and since then he just hasn't. Well, he didn't have that bad a first half season. As much as he take, took criticism, I don't think he had a particularly bad first half season. Maybe not world class like he was last season, but he was distinctly average, not making that many mistakes, not make not not being as good as he was last year, but he wasn't making that many mistakes. Then uh, New Year's Day came and his season came essentially to an end. He made two really bad mistakes in that game and then got caught smoking in the showers and he has not started a Premier League game since. So, yeah, he's been probably the most disappointing. Premier Sacker was pretty disappointing the first half of the season, but he's picked it up the second half of the season. So... Yeah, not that many people disappointed overall, but Chesney's probably the biggest disappointment, as much as I hate to say it. Yeah, um, for Tottenham, obviously the first name is Harry Kane to to kind of come from where he did, which was kind of an outcast. And Jim, we had you on here talking about his time at Leicester. Um, not, no, but nobody knew this was coming, despite what Tim Sherwood may claim. Um, he was so bad. <laughs> I know, and at Norwich I as well. Understate how bad he was. <laughs> The guy could barely tie his shoelaces up properly, let alone put a decent performance in. Oh, I, I, I think somebody ties his shoes. But <laughs> um, uh, he, he came from nowhere and is just absolutely incredible. You will hear former players saying that in training he always had a, a good shot on him. But, I mean, he, he didn't used to get in the right positions. He didn't used to have the strength to hold up the ball. He wasn't able to, to pass the ball or have that awkward close control that's kind of Mueller-esque that invited those uh, comparisons where it always looks like he doesn't have control of the ball, but he somehow keeps it. Um, she's obviously been, been the most impressive, only slightly more so, though, than Danny Rose, who I've, I've mentioned a few times throughout the season. Uh, I was late to the, oh my god, Danny Rose is good now uh, train, um, but he's genuinely been just incredible for the last two months and in a period where everyone else has really struggled um 
So I've been very impressed with how he's improved. I do think Ben Davies' appearance at, at the club might have kind of, oh, dang it, spurred him on. That wasn't on purpose. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. <laughs> um, but Danny Rose's uh, improvements have been very significant. Uh, he started taking his crosses earlier, uh, and now they finally find the right spot. <laughs> I mentioned before, kind of reminds me, uh, for baseball fans, of Mariano Rivera's cut fastball. He couldn't throw a straight fastball for his life. They're like, well, just throw it over here, and then it'll end up at the right spot. And it seems like that's what happened with Danny Rose, as he couldn't get his crosses into a threatening area when he was near the box. And so they're just like, just do it before you get there, and now they're always perfect. Um, the best example being the Chadley's cushion goal against uh, Swansea, where he just let it hit him in the foot and <laughs> just bounce in. Um, so yeah, Danny Rose has also very much impressed me. Nabil Bentaleb, we we, we kind of knew about last year. He's continued his, his trajectory. He'll be a very good player for us in the future. And Nasser Chadley, who somehow is still getting crap from Tottenham fans, and I don't understand how, just scored his 11th goal of the season. People are saying, yeah, but he doesn't do anything in matches that he doesn't score. And the inability for fans to understand that tracking back is a thing that footballers should do is astonishing to me. Um, he scored 11 goals, and half half of his day is tracking back because Danny Rose overlapped with him. So it, it, I don't know why people are so quick to judge Nasser Chadley. Last year they judged him too much because you know he was staying back too much and he was defending too much. This year he's done both. And now people are judging him for offering nothing but goals. And I, I don't know what he can do to make people happy. Um, in terms of disappointing players, big three, Kabul, Kapu, Lennon, for their whole veteran coup thing. I wish they had mattered, but they didn't. Um, Fazio came in and we thought he was the answer to everything. He had a great November and December, but has really slipped since then. Is pretty error prone. Is pretty slow. Doesn't have the jumping ability that you'd expect for somebody that big. And he never even punched Diego Costa like he did when he was at Sevilla. So... Hard to validate his presence at Tottenham. Um, Vlad Kirikesh went from Romanian sensation, and he was crazy last year, but had excellent ball skills, and he had that one where he flicked it over the striker's head and then collected it on the other side. It was really awesome. Uh, and this year he's just been an idiot. He's been insane and loses his mind anytime he's under pressure, uh, as was evidenced by the red card that he picked up last week. Um, just he, I, I think he'll do very well. In Italian football and can't wait for him to be there instead of here. Kyle Walker, another disappointing year for him. Uh, two years ago, he was great. I think it might have actually been three years ago, the Young Player of the Year, because I think it was Bale's first year winning it. But anyway, I digress. Um, he We keep expecting him to take that next step, and he just doesn't. Uh, he's still one of our most dangerous players, just in so much as with Lomelo on the right, we lack pace, so Kyle Walker offers that, that he'll kind of drag the defense back into the right, which offers us more space in the middle, but, you know, his defending hasn't particularly improved, he still relies heavily on his pace, he's just the defensive version of Aaron Lennon, where he got into the side early because of his pace, and then decided to stop his development there, and doesn't really offer much else, unfortunately. Um, and then Ben Davis, as <laughs> uh, Scott has corrected me, it's not Davies, it is Davis, um, had a few matches here and there, but really didn't offer much uh, throughout the season. His positioning was arguably his greatest strength, which Scott said was his worst attribute. Um, but all in all, he, he had a just meh season, but did prompt Rose to have a great one. So, you know, saying he disappointed is a little harsh, but is, fair, is true for me nonetheless. Uh, and for those of you keeping score at home... Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of those were defenders, <laughs> which is probably not that surprising considering where we are in terms of goals allowed. Last time I checked, we were fourth worst in the league. Uh, so if you have that many defensive players struggling, I suppose that's not too much of a shock. If you lose Lurie, you may concede 100 goals next season. Oh, that yeah. That might happen. Oh, you're right. There's absolutely no joking going on with that. I thoroughly believe We'll concede just uh, an amazing amount. You know, Vorm came in for those two weeks when Lloris was hurt because Kyle yeah, Walker ran into him. In. What are you good for, Kaz? Um, and Vorm kept two clean <laughs> sheets. And one Tottenham fan legitimately took time out of his life to tweet, what if Lloris is the problem? I don't think Lloris is the problem, <laughs> I was just staggered that somebody I, could have that opinion. I don't opinion. think that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. I know opinions can't be wrong, but that was incorrect. <laughs> yes, they can. Yes, <laughs> yeah. they can. All right, and uh, from there, 
we're going to go on to match previews, where we're going to be discussing our club's upcoming fixtures. We'll start off with Burnley and their travels to Aston Villa. Do we have to? Like, really? Uh, I don't know. You're going to be wearing the same colours? Uh, if you want to just leave it there. <laughs> I don't think we are going to be wearing it. We'll, pro- we'll probably wear our fetching black away kit. Oh, maybe but I love your silver surfer kit. The tinfoil one might even get its final airing. Uh, yeah, I don't. there's probably not much to say about our last game of the season. It, for a long time, it looked like it was going to be a make-or-break one with either other Villa going down, but turns out we're already down. Villa are already safe, so means absolutely nothing. Um, we'd like to get a win, I suppose, to, to make sure we finish off the bottom. I think QPR are one goal behind us on the table, so as long as we match their result, we will not finish bottom, which is something to be happy about, I suppose. Another clean sheet would be good. That make it three in a row at the end of the season. That would be a bit of positivity to end the season. I suppose Villa are just going to be looking ahead to the FA Cup final, so their eye might be off the ball. But it can work both ways, can't it? Because the players might be playing for their place. So, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it. I don't think it's going to be particularly entertaining. Our games haven't been recently. They've been quite tight and you're not giving much away, so... Um, yeah, I'm not expecting too much in the way of entertainment. I think we'll probably just try and nick one on the break, which has been our tactic on the road most of the season, and it's worked twice, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll probably lose, which would be a fitting way to end a season where we've lost a lot of games. All right, and now I'm going to talk about Tottenham's upcoming trip to uh, Everton. As I mentioned before, they're going to be debuting their new kit for next season, so that's Pretty much the only thing that matters from this match. Um, in terms of actual things that will happen, Pochettino's probably going to roll out the same 11 we've seen the last few months, despite them being disappointed, despite them being disappointing, uh, despite Ericsson needing a rest more than anyone's ever needed to lie down in the history of all time. Um, so that won't be too surprising when we see that. Eric Dyer should uh, get the start at right back again, just to kind of highlight how much better he is than Fazio, that he's been better at two positions than Fazio's been at one. Um, going up against an Everton side that uh, didn't really show up against Sunderland at the weekend. Um, at the beginning of the season, we were all really excited. We were like, oh, we might get Lukaku, and he finished with a grand total of 10 fewer goals than Harry Kane. That's that's worked in our favor. Um, like I said, no Aaron Lennon for them, so... Not really expecting much interest from this match at all, but I'm I'm gonna say we win. I don't know something boring. Let's let's go one nil, one nil, and it won't be Kane. It'll probably be Chadley again with another Lamela assist, just so their stats keep racking up, and uh, all the pro Lamela people can point to that and, and argue why he should be staying at the club. All right, Jim, what do you see out of Leicester's upcoming match against QPR? It's an interesting one, this, because we were kind of expecting it to come down to the wire and that this game could be potentially the one that was the the big watershed moment that could relegate one or both of us, depending on the result. Um, Obviously, it hasn't turned out that way. So there's obviously a lot of bite being taken out of it now. Um, It's nowhere near as important for either club as uh, as it was because it's all been decided. Um, Judging, I'm only inferring this from from last week's game, but QPR seems to play with a lot more freedom now they've been relegated, which is ironic, but they certainly seem to to put up a better performance against Newcastle than they put up for many a week, which um, may be just because they're playing Newcastle, um, which tends to bring the best out of everybody at the moment. So maybe that is a... uh, a false assumption, but I'm hoping that it's an exciting game. I can see both sides kind of having that end of season. Let's just both go for it. And it will probably be a, a quite a high scoring game, I think, because our players will have been um, relaxing this week. As I say, the awards were a couple of nights ago, so they may well have had a few days off training. And the last time we kind of celebrated a big, um, a big achievement like that, we played Brighton just after we got promoted officially um, to the Premier League and frankly turned in one of the worst performances I've ever seen. Um, I think the, the team were drinking champagne on the training ground the day of the match and we lost 4-1 um, in a pretty abysmal performance. So I'm expecting a similar kind of, not necessarily a massive loss, but um, an exciting game, hopefully. I think QPR have got plenty of players that are in the shot window at the moment. Um, a lot of players on on short expiring contracts. So They've got as much reason as as anybody to put in a decent performance and hopefully try and secure a summer move. 
Um, and our players will hopefully want to go out on a high. The owners are giving each season ticket or oh, well, each ticket holder a free beer this Sunday as well. So that should ensure the atmosphere is quite raucous by kickoff. Um, so we're hoping for, yeah, I'm hoping for a kind of party atmosphere end to the season, really. That would have been a good idea at Burnley. They could have just got us all drunk and then we'd have forgotten how we they, Yeah, they probably yeah. could have started that in week one with you guys. You might have forgotten <laughs> how cracked some of the strikers were. We <laughs> could have given lots of free drinks to Lucas Yorkovich. It might have made him better, you know. <laughs> yeah. Give him all the free beer and then stick him on his own. <laughs> He'd be better at dealing with the pressure. I, I like this. I think maybe Soldado just needs a drink before he's match. <laughs> or five. <laughs> or go back to Spain. Okay. Um, then, uh, lastly, what do you make of Arsenal's upcoming match against West Bromwich Albion? I make nothing of it at all. Um, I have even less to say about this than Jamie and Kevin had to say about their match. But if you don't lose, you um, won't get your fourth place trophy. <laughs> if we don't lose 7-0 we won't get our fourth place trophy so um all right guys let's put the ball in our back in the back of our net at least six times uh, <laughs> flamini start we need 11 flaminis guys um yeah there's nothing um yeah don't lose 7-0 is the message here um based on the last couple performances i'm almost expecting a nil nil um it is a peelist side that is anyway um yeah it's Really not going to be a good match. Uh, I'm just looking forward to the fact that it will be completely meaningless, and that should be uh, not fu- not quite fun, but uh, relaxing, hopefully. So nobody die, and don't put the ball in the back of your own net. That's pretty much the pep, t- the pep talk. All right, cool. Now I'm sure they're all really fired up to go get them. Yep. Um, <laughs> and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug, or if you'd like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Hi, I've been Jamie Smith. I'm the editor and founder of Burnley website, No Name Ever. Uh, there'll be plenty of post-season analysis picking over the corpse that is Burnley's season in the Premier League coming up in the next couple of weeks. So if you're particularly morbid or like to be made to feel miserable, that would be a good place to go. And we're on Twitter as well, at No Name Ever Net. Thanks for listening, guys. I'm Jim. Um, you can find me at JimKnight88 on Twitter. I do a lot of my writing for Goal.com primarily, uh, betting-related, and uh, doing some work for Mobile Casino Expert at the moment as well. So if you want to read some betting ramblings um, about the Premier League, then then head to those various places. Uh, yeah, I'm Dan. Thanks for having me on. You can get my writing at EPLindex.com, and you can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Uh, yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. I have some articles over on theeaglesbeak.com. I have some fantasy rankings over at Playtaga. Uh, if you'd like to reach me on Twitter, I'm at Kevroth. And as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can either tweet us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.